Hello, friends of the Renewed community. This is Doug Moister, and um, unfortunately, this past week's teaching was not recorded. Uh, we ran out of battery or user error of some sort. So, uh, I am re-recording the teaching. It might be a little bit different, um, but nonetheless, glad you're tuning in and have an opportunity to listen um, to the message. And so, how many of you keep a journal? Well, a few months ago, uh, I was at Walt and Alice's house, and while I was there, uh, Alice was telling me about a trip that her and Walt took a few years ago, and she disappeared into a room for a minute. She came out with one of those huge three-ring binders, and it was filled. It probably weighed about seven pounds, but it was filled with pictures and uh, memorabilia and different things from one of their trips that they had. And she said, oh, the, I have a whole catalog of, of our trips. And I walked into the room, and here they had this big bookshelf, probably about six feet long by about four feet high, filled with all these different three-ring binders. And each one held a photo log of the trip that they went on. And it was amazing to hear the stories and see the pictures. We have a, a great opportunity when we hang out with folks that document their trips to hear more and the pictures come alive when you begin to hear the storyteller tell the story. And so what do we do when we have an amazing travel experience or a near-death uh, near experience or when we finish a bucket list item or when we encounter... Um, when we encounter something amazing and we think to ourselves, no one is going to believe this. Who do you share it with? Where do you share it? Do you Facebook it? Do you Instagram it? Do you leave it in the, in the cloud of unknowing, as I like to call it, of the iCloud and your photo? Um, and this morning, we actually get a chance to take a look at the travel log of Luke. Uh, and Luke was recording some amazing things that happened uh, to Paul and his friends, and um, it's just a really exciting thing, and my hope is that we get a chance to really look at the emotions and the whole story, not just little bits and pieces of it. Um, speaking of that, imagine if Paul had an Instagram account. It would be pretty amazing. I found a great selfie of Paul. Uh, it's from uh, the 3rd the century, and uh, if you have a chance, you can Google search it. Just look up uh, Paul, and uh, it, he has a forehead that looks like he's a Klingon. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, what, what would some of his hashtags be? Uh, would they be riots or fun? Um, hashtag um, Jesus is Lord. Hashtag this prison has nice food. I mean, what things do you think? What, pi what pictures and images would Paul have? And so this morning, uh, if you could open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts 20 and 21. So as you find them, um, just hold that spot. And what I want you to do is turn back with me to Acts 1.8. And so before Jesus ascends into heaven, he's standing around with his disciples and he gives them one last command. And this is what he says. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit accomplishing His work through the church. Roughly the first ten chapters, uh, 
Acts is about the story of the gospel staying and doing its work in Jerusalem and the, the, the apostles calling others to help with the work of the church and the growth of the church in Jerusalem and Judea and into Samaria. But it's very localized in that small region. The next 10, roughly 10 chapters, are Paul's journeys uh, and some, some, of, some of the other apostles sort of make their way in it. But the story is about the gospel spreading to Asia Minor, or today it's modern day Turkey and Greece. Um, in the last eight, eight chapters, um, which, we're, which we're starting today, are Paul going to the end of the earth, which in this time means Rome. And so Paul is setting his face towards Rome. So we have to understand that Acts 1, chapter 8 is the thesis, uh, it's the background music of the entire book of Acts. Um, Jesus' call wasn't a pyramid scam, it wasn't a way to sell windows, um, but that is deeply rooted in the promise of God throughout the ages. And this is part of our story. This is our people, our heritage. Um, we, as Christians who decide to follow Jesus, we, are, we have adventure in our bones. Um, Christians are people who set out into the adventure to follow God wherever he calls us. And so, uh, as we begin, let us take a minute and um, let's get back to Acts chapter 20. So, Acts chapter 20 uh, begins um, as we sort of look at the end of what J.R. taught about last time with the riot. And it, it's, it's just the finishing up ideas on, on what's going on. And they're beginning to, to, to sail back in their ideas. They want to get back to Jerusalem. And so the first story that we really come across in this is found in Acts 20, in verse 7. I'm going to read, uh, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room that we, we were staying in. We were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. While he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put himself in, around him, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. After talking, until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, my friends, Paul... Let's just take a minute and think through this passage. This is bizarre. Paul stops at Troas and he's meeting with some friends and he's teaching and teaching. Now, first of all, we have a hard time when I teach for more than 25 minutes. Imagine teaching all night long. And so the first youth group kid, Eutychus, uh, falls out a window and dies. This is funny. You know what Eutychus, his name, you know what it means? It means lucky. Yes, he's like the dog missing an eye with the busted ear and three legs. Uh, it just named Lucky. Or he's like the really big guy named Tiny. It's ironic. It's funny. But Paul lays on this guy and he's raised into life. And he says, let's come to the table. So close our eyes. Imagine someone dying right now today in our gathering. We get up, we take communion, and we teach until dinner time. What things would you be feeling? You would probably be a bit rattled, wouldn't you? Uh, another question that this raises is, is Paul boring? And although we're not 100% sure whether Paul was boring or not, 
this story is very interesting, and the reason why the author, why Luke decides to put it in here is important. Think about it. What did Jesus do a few days before he went into Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover, to, to celebrate Passion Week? He went to a home of a friend who passed away, and he raised him to life. So Luke wants us to pay attention and lean in. Next, we come to Paul's goodbye to the Ephesians, to the elders of Ephesus. And what we have to understand in the story is that Paul spent three years with in Ephesus. Um, this is where the riot was that Jr. spoke about a few weeks ago. Um, and and we have to understand that Paul has this is the longest he's been at a place. Um, he spent a ton of time, and he really has created a great sense of community with all of these people, and he loves them deeply. So we're going to pick up again in Acts 20, verse 17. And it says this, from, from Miletus, Paul went to Ephesus for the, or Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. You know how I lived with you. He said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so what, I, what, we, what we learn about this, again, that Paul knows these people. These are friends. These are dear people to him. Um, as, we, as we read on in the passage, uh, what we find is a few things. Number one, we see the fact that he is compelled there's this, this, this word, he's compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he also talks about the importance of the message that he preached, that Paul preached re- repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Uh, when I was a, a youth pastor, um, Joel and Kelly were both students many years ago. Uh, and one of the things that I remember Joel saying, he must have been in eighth or ninth grade, we were talking about the gospel, and he made this brilliant statement. He said, you know, the gospel is really simple. Following Jesus is really simple. It's just not all that easy. And so that statement has stuck with me for many years, because even as we look at Paul's gospel, it's very simple. Repentance and having faith in our Lord Jesus. We need to understand that faith is not just a mental ascent or uh, something to believe in, but it, it requires our life. It requires us being willing to lay down our lives for something much bigger than what than who we are. And it's one of these things that we have to understand that we're compelled by love to see the gospel move forward. And so the Spirit, uh, as we also understand in this passage, the Spirit is warning Paul that in every city that he is facing prison and hardships. And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we, when we recognize that the Spirit is leading us into a very difficult season? I, 
And we'll get into that in a few minutes as we continue to read through. But as we look at the ending of, of this story of Paul in Ephesus, I want us to think through the emotions. What emotions are you thinking if you're Paul in the story, if you're the, the elders of Ephesus? And it, starting in 35, he says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to his ship and they said goodbye. So this passage is beautiful. Because when a lot of times when we think about Paul, we think of this very stoic man who's very brilliant and smart. But what we don't see is that it's hard for Paul to say goodbye. Yes, Paul's following the Lord. Yes, he's excited to see what God has. But at the same moment, it's hard for him to leave. And there's this, the, the, the very first verse of chapter 21 says, this is after we had torn ourselves away from them. When's the last time you had to relationally tear yourself away from someone that you deeply loved because they were about to leave? I mean, let's think about that. Paul's not just walking away from some guys in this in, in a picturesque flannel graph story, but this is a hard goodbye. And think about the way Paul encourages the people, and this is important for us to understand. Very early on in the story, in our story, in our history as followers of Jesus, we are called to take care of the weak. That this idea of, of loving God and loving, the neighbor, loving your neighbor that Jesus spoke about, that Paul is already embodying this and encouraging the church to say, we must be known for those that look after the marginalized and those in the fringes. That's why I'm encouraged to hear Dave Balecki and Dave Peters and the others that are helping out, Elaine Borgard um, and the Weavers who are helping out with, with our church, figuring out how to love and care for the refugee families within our area. Because God calls us to care for the weak. That's an ethic that we cannot get away from. And so as we look at chapter 21, as we, as we look at the first section, we can sum it up to this. People love Paul and continue to try to persuade him. As we look at verse 10 and 21, it says this. We're going to read it together. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so picture yourself in this moment. If I walked over to Steve High and began to take his belt off, what would you be thinking? A little strange. But this is what's happening. A prophet comes down and, and enacts what is about to happen. And so the Spirit says to Paul, in this moment, Paul, you're about to suffer greatly. And so what do we do when the Spirit calls us to suffer? Some of us have been, some of us are the people who have received the news 
of an unfavorable diagnosis. Some of us have, have, can imagine very closely of, of hearing the words um, of, of a diagnosis or words that you're about to suffer or words that someone that you love deeply has just passed. We've been thrown into suffering. And imagine hearing that news. But we have to understand the scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. That even in the midst of our suffering, we're not alone. That God is with us. That his spirit comforts us and gives us peace in the midst of this. And so what is it that possesses Paul to follow Jesus into the suffering? And so as we think about it, so far within the story of Acts, every time Paul wants to to head into a theater where there's a riot and preach the gospel, um, he's, he's held back. Um, he, he's escaped hardship by jumping through windows. Um, he's been thrown in jail, but he's been, he's been let go of jail. And th- there's been a lot of things happening. But there's something amazing that happens in the story. And Paul, Paul, when he would not be dissuaded, set his face to Jerusalem. And so this, 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 the writer of, of Acts is Luke. And in Luke's gospel, Luke has his beautiful passage in Luke 9.51, it says this, says, Jesus resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. And so Jesus, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, beaten, humiliated, and crucified, he endured it for us. We were worth it. You were worth it. And he invites us into relationship with him through the repentance of our sin and the faith and faith in the Lord Jesus. And Paul wasn't stubbornly doing this. He was compelled by the truth and reality of Jesus as Lord. But even beyond that, that it was Jesus' love for the world in which why Paul decided to go through with this. But this costs something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one, of the, one of our greatest uh, heroes of the 20th century within the church. Um, he was a man who, who, who was part of the confessing church that stood up against Hitler's Nazi Germany, a very small group of Christians. Uh, but he coined a phrase in a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he said this, he called it costly grace. You see, this grace costs something. It's not something that we just trample on and throw away, but it's something that is so powerful and it changes us and it costs something because it costs God something and so it costs us something. It costs us to be willing to submit our whole lives to the King, to be willing to go wherever He says, to follow Him in the adventure. And in the passage following Luke 9.51, the heading on it is called the cost of discipleship. And so Jesus tells his disciples the cost of following him. And as he's working through a few of these statements, he ends with this brilliant statement. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. My friends, this passage is almost like a hyperlink set within an email that kicks us to another part of scripture, which is 1 Kings 19. 19 through 21. And this is the story of Elijah calling Elisha. And so Elijah came and he put his mantle on top of Elisha and he said, come follow me. And so Elijah left him and he went to his, while he, while, while Elijah, Elijah found Elisha, he was out plowing in the field. 
and he put the mantle on him and he and and he said you're going to follow me and so what Elijah did was this beautiful picture of what it means what it means about costly grace and it says he went back to his yoke of oxen he slaughtered them he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate and then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant my friends following Jesus sometimes all the times calls us to burn our plows and to slaughter our ox. And so what plows do we need to burn this morning? What are the things that we're still holding on thinking, well, if this Jesus thing doesn't work out, I can still go back to this, but to have a faith that moves us to burn our plows and to say, I'm never going back. I burned the plow. I slaughtered the oxen. Friends, this is our story. This is Paul's story. And so Paul finally comes to Jerusalem and he shares the news of the gospel spreading with the leaders of the church there. And it's received with joy. And what happens in this, in this passage is Paul then realizes and he's, he's shared with it. They say, hey, Paul, um, you're being accused of having people return, turn from the law. And so Paul submits himself to the church for purification. He says this, he says, um, I know that I'm right. But I'm going to submit myself to you. What should I do? And so what he does, he submits and he gets a haircut. And so this statement, this Paul getting a haircut says this, that Paul would rather be righteous than he would be right. And this flies in the face of our own individual rights. My friends, this submission cost Paul money. He had to pay for his and three other brothers to have, um, to have this, the, the, this, this purification ritual done. And not just a little bit, but it was a good amount of money. It cost him time. He spent seven days. He probably didn't eat most of those days because of the fasting and the purification. Um, It cost him isolation. He probably had to spend time away from people in in prayer and in things like that. It also cost him his hair. Think about the way that Paul submits and how that calls us into submission to one another. But friends, this is a strategy for reconciliation that Paul is willing to be all things to all people so that some might come to Jesus because Paul experienced God this way. And, and I want us to get this image. Most of us remember being middle schoolers. In fact, some of us are probably still in counseling trying to get those ideas out of our head. But if any of you remember being at a middle school dance, it is like awkward fest. And it's always in the gym, and you've got all the guys standing on the one side talking and all the girls standing on the other side. And the one thing that is not happening at most middle school dances is dancing. So everyone stands on their, on their opposite sides, and they talk, and they look, and they giggle. My friends, the gospel is this, and the gospel that Paul understood is this, is that Jesus, Jesus walked to center court, and he didn't stop there and wave the other person to come. But he came all the way over to the other side and he took that girl by the hand and he walked her back and he began to dance. My friends, that is the picture of the gospel. That is the picture of this love, this reconciliation that comes all the way to us, that God does not just stop in the middle and wave us on, but he comes to the other side fully present. And God doesn't just come to the center. He comes all the way. And he grabs you by the hand and he brings you to where he is.
That's the picture of the gospel that I want us to sit with this morning. That's what compels Paul to, 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 to submit his life to what the church is calling him to. And so what, what we know in the story is, is that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, Paul goes to the temple, he gets jumped, and a riot ensues. And, he is, and he, he's accused of the same things that Stephen and Jesus were accused of. And those things are that. And, and when, when we look at the words, it's, it's, it's amazing. He's accused of the same things, and it's this. Um, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Think of the irony. Here's a man that spent seven days purifying himself, and they're saying that he's defiled the place. See, what happens when our idols are masked in something really good? What happens when we idolize our children? What happens when, when, when we idolize things that, that are actually good, but we've actually made them into bad things? Because we put them above the place of God. What's amazing in the story is, is Gentiles come to the rescue. And this is a shocker because from here, up, from all the times before, the Gentiles don't come to the rescue. And the one thing we have to recognize is we have to notice what folks are shouting. Um, as, as Paul, as the riot is ensuing, it says this in verse 34. It says, some in the crowd shouted one thing and another and, and some shouted another. And since the commander could not get all the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting, What? Away with him. Where else have we seen the crowd shouting away with him? That's right, at Jesus' crucifixion. And so the story, the readers of Luke are thinking, it's it. Paul's going to, the readers of Acts are thinking, Paul's, it's done. Paul's, his, it's over. They're yelling, Azazel, away with him. And so if you're Paul, what are you thinking right now? What are you thinking? As you think back to what Agabus showed us all with, by tying up my hands and feet with, with, with his belt. You know, we think back to the way the Spirit has been leaning in and showing us, showing me, showing Paul specifically, you're going to suffer. What do we do? And so the chapter ends by leaving, it kind of leaves us in a cliffhanger. It says, Paul is getting ready to speak. And so I'm going to leave us in the story here. And so next gathering, JR is going to pick up and we're going to get a chance to hear the rest of the story of what God has been doing throughout Acts. And let me pray. Jesus, we thank you um, for this day, and we thank you that you're a God that came all the way over to us to save us, to rescue us. In our awkwardness, in our brokenness, in our sin, you continue to pursue us. And you don't stop halfway and wave us on, and we have to make the walk of shame, but you come all the way to us and you grab our hand. Lord, thank you for taking us on an adventure. Thank you for giving us um, these stories, not just to read, but to enact, to, to continue to reenact, that we would be good reenactors of the, of the words of God, that we would recognize we're called to the world, 
that we're called to places and people uh, that don't know Jesus. May you give us strength and power. May you comfort us in the midst of our suffering. In your name we pray. Amen.